You're about to hear a sermon that was preached for the people of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. Sacred City Moline is a gospel-centered missional church that aims to make disciples plant churches and renew the cities. If you want to hear more about Sacred City Church or become part of what we're doing here, we encourage you to visit us at scmoline.com. Now, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning to you once again. Welcome to Sacred City Church. My name's Sam. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Sacred City, and uh, it's a joy to have you with us. I was just thinking, uh, one of the lyrics in that song is, I I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, and I really feel that today. I've got that seasonal allergy thing that's going on. Anybody else feeling that? The weather change? So we're going to labor on in weakness and rejoicing that the Lord has a word for us today. Would you uh, join me in prayer? I'll pray for you. You pray for me, and, uh, and we'll get after it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us a book that we might know you by. You didn't leave us guessing. You didn't leave us to our own imaginations of trying to to construct a God that is to our liking. You have revealed yourself to us in your word. Help us to see you as you truly are. Help us to receive the word, Lord. Would it sink down deep in our hearts by by your work, your spirit, unstopping our ears so that we can hear, softening our hearts to receive. And that this word would take root and in us, Lord, would mighty oaks rise up. Would you prepare us for the good works that you have prepared before we were even saved, that we might walk in them and bring glory to your name. Would you help me this morning as as I minister to your people? Give me all of your words and none of mine. Let let my opinions fade away. Would it only be the truth of God that stands and anything that is foolishness, Lord, would it fade away like the dross from the gold? Would you use this time that we have this morning in studying your word and examining your word to grow us, to shape us, to to make us the kind of people that we are intended to be? For your glory and for our joy, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. For the last couple of weeks, we have been in a new sermon series called Cultivate. The whole intent of this sermon series is to help refine and reinvigorate the discipleship culture that we have here at Sacred City Church. And the way that disciples are made as we began our sermon series a couple weeks back, we saw this is is through the preaching of the gospel when the gospel message of Christ living and dying and being resurrected is proclaimed and when people are taught how to obey all that Jesus commanded, that we observe all of his commands. So there's this this dual ministry of gospel proclamation and instruction in righteousness. Now, interestingly, uh, we see this in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 
we, we see this also carried over in the Apostle Paul's ministry. This is what he writes in Colossians chapter one, right at the end of this, uh, this passage. He said, uh, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, in Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, that is Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now we see that, that there's the proclamation of the mystery, the proclamation of the gospel, as well as the teaching, the instruction of righteous living. Now the whole point of this, the aim of Paul's preaching and teaching is not just so people would simply say a prayer and get to heaven. Not, not merely that people would have this conversion experience and then sort of you know, punch their ticket to heaven and go on life as normal, but they would have a total and complete transformation of their life. Paul's aim in his preaching and teaching ministry is nothing short of Christian maturity for all people that we would all grow up, that we would all mature, that, that this takes place in believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ as well as imitating Christ, living the way Christ himself lived and set an example for us. Now, when I come across this passage in Colossians 1, for some reason in my brain, there's this instantaneous connection between Colossians 1 and Psalm 1. The idea of growing up into maturity and this imagery that we have in Psalm 1 of this tree that's, that, that the psalmist speaks of. He says this, blessed is the man who, not, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now this is where this maturity imagery comes. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, this, this, this imagery that we see here in Psalm 1, I think really does link up to, to the idea of Christian maturity. The psalmist likens the blessed man, the happy man, the flourishing man, the prospering man to a tree, saying that, that he, when his roots are sunk down deep, when he has adequate sunlight and the nourishment that he needs, he becomes a sturdy, mature, and faithful and fruitful tree. Now, what I'm convinced is that when we hold Psalm 1 and Colossians 1 together, the Apostle Paul isn't simply saying, I would like to cultivate one man who's like that. Instead, I think what the Apostle Paul is envisioning is a whole grove, a forest full of trees, sturdy, fruitful, robust trees. And that's my hope as we make our way through this sermon series that, that Sacred City would increasingly become a grove of fruitful, robust, sturdy trees. And the main question that I want to spend answering today is, how do we become like that? 
How do we become like that? How do we go from a little sapling to this mature, sturdy oak or apple tree if we're producing fruit? Now, of course, we must acknowledge that that we cannot make ourselves Christians. We cannot turn ourselves into trees. That's God's doing. God brings people out of darkness and into his glorious light. But once we've been brought into God's family, once we've received the gift of salvation, how do we grow up into that inheritance that we've received? What, what, What are our next steps? What are the rhythms that we need to give ourselves to to become faithful and mature Christians. What does it mean to cultivate ourselves, to see to our own flourishing, our own growth, our own maturity? And so today, what I wanna do, I wanna get pretty practical with some of this stuff. I wanna dig into, okay, here, tomorrow when you wake up, this afternoon when you go home, here are things that you can give yourself to that will move you closer towards Christian maturity. But before we dive into the practical stuff, what I want to convince you of is that the stakes are high. I wanna show you what's at stake if you don't pursue growth. If you just basically, you know, kick your feet up and coast through life, you know, you you said the prayer, you, you believe Jesus died for your sins, but if you don't take responsibility for your own discipleship, you're living life on the edge. And what happens is you get stuck in perpetual immaturity. See, if Paul wants to to see everyone grow up in Christ, that everybody would would move towards Christian maturity, that if we do not take responsibility for our own discipleship, it means we get stuck. It means that we will forever act like children. There will be a level of spiritual immaturity that we cannot move past unless we exert the energy that Christ implants in us to pursue that goal. And this is exactly what, if you jump to Ephesians chapter four, what the apostle Paul is getting at. He he says this, um, let me find my spot here. In, In Ephesians four, verse 14, he says, so that we may no longer be children, Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The Apostle Paul wants every Christian to grow up, to put away the childish ways, the ways of immaturity. Now, the reason why the immature ways are so dangerous is because it highlights it right here. It's because you get tossed, get manipulated by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. The danger of remaining in spiritual immaturity is you become easily manipulated that it's easy for you to get jerked around. Now, whether it's the news cycle, whether it's, it's the cultural norms of the moment that just keep shifting further and further away from God's word or anything else, without having a firm foundation, without that anchor in Christ, you'll just be pushed around. You'll be bullied. 
Now this is why I think Psalm 1 starts with saying not what the the blessed man does, but rather what the blessed man doesn't do. You see this, blessed man, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. If you want to grow in Christian maturity, to to be this blessed man or woman who's spiritually well-nourished, who's rooted and anchored in the truth, who's fruitful, who's thriving and prosperous, even in unideal situations, it means you must leave behind bad company. You've got to Step out of the way of the wicked, out of the way of sinners, out of the, the seat of scoffers. In fact, it's, it's really interesting, the, uh, the verbs that are here. It, it addresses how we walk, how we stand, and how we sit. If you want to grow and thrive in Christ, you have to contextually leave behind bad company. Don't walk with the wicked. Don't stand with sinners. Don't sit with scoffers. And the reason for this is mentioned further down in verse verse 6. Because these people, the the way of the wicked, will perish. To, To remain in bad company will incline you toward destruction. You have to see this. It doesn't help you grow, it hinders your growth. Now right now, what I would like for you, for you to do is, is run an audit of your life right now. Who, who is it you are walking with? Who are you standing with? Who are you seated with? Or in other words, who has your ear? What what podcasts are you listening to? What TV or news outlets are you listening to? What social media captures your imagination and, and creates this constant obsession? What books are you fascinated by? What kind of company, what friends do you have? And as you're examining these, ask yourself, Do do these people help me follow Jesus? Do do they point me toward the way of righteousness? Are are they helping me live a good life, a, a blessed life? Are we doing it shoulder to shoulder, walking in the same direction? Do these people or these these resources do they ground you in truth? Do they cultivate a, a non anxious state of being in your life? Do they they promote joy? Or or are they leading you astray? Are these the kind of folks who are creating waves in your life, the, the, the winds that are blowing to and fro, causing you right on the brink of capsizing, audit to run? And I remember being in college, probably back in 2009, uh, and, and having this very real wake-up call. Um, I, I had grown up in the church. I, I knew the gospel. 
I knew that Jesus died for my sins, that my life was wrapped up in his. And, and for a long time, I hadn't taken my discipleship seriously. I, um, I pushed away from my upbringing and just really leaned into the whole prodigal son sort of narrative for a wee bit. And, and in the midst of all that, I sensed the Lord starting to pull on my heart. I sensed the Lord calling me deeper into Christian maturity. This, this responsibility that I was feeling for my own discipleship was getting cranked up in a way that I'd never experienced before where I woke up and I, I wanted to read my Bible, I wanted to go to church, I wanted to be in community that, that shared the same values and was aiming at the same goal as I. Now what made this hard is that all of my current friends, they all liked to party and they were really good at it. And I would find myself in their company often, bouncing from party to party and, and what used to keep me entertained, I quickly found was incredibly disappointing. I found this, just this blandness to these relationships, to this scene that I had for a long time been immersed in. And so I would go to these parties and be so bored, and, and I sensed the Holy Spirit pulling me out of that, this discontentment, this, this that the things that were once cheap thrills no longer were entertaining at all. Now, as I sensed the Spirit, like, literally moving me out of one friend group and putting me into another, I remember bristling at this idea because my initial instinct was, I, I don't wanna leave behind this group of friends. I, I don't wanna cut them out of my life. I love these guys. I, I've enjoyed these guys. I, I have legitimate care and affection for these guys and ladies. And if I just move on, if I cut ties, isn't that just like tossing them off to the deep end? And for a long time, I tried to justify keeping friends with sinners, with the scoffers, with the wicked, as living on mission. And, and I think while my heart was desirous of a good thing, like I wanted these friends to come to faith in Jesus. I wanted them to know of the love of God. I was not in a place. I myself was getting blown around. I didn't have any sturdy ground to stand on. And so I found that when I was in these situations, when I was with these people, I wasn't being a missionary, you know, the light. I was just, the darkness was overcoming me. And in this season where God was causing this audit to be run in my own life, I, I, I knew that I needed to find a place to find a new company where I could get my feet on solid ground because I could not really live on mission to these people if every time I stepped in their company, I was compromised. And so God in his grace sort of extracted me. It was very painful because I, I went from having a great group of friends, people I could call up, hang out anytime, to being a nobody, stepping into a, a, a college, uh, college campus ministry, not knowing a soul, and just sticking around and being an awkward guy until I found friends. And in that, God blessed it. God created a space for me and replanted me in a new community. And, and in the context of that community, which we'll talk about discipleship in the context of community a lot next week, God brought me to a season of incredible growth where my roots really did go down deep, where, where fruit was starting to be produced in my life. 
And, and based on what Psalm 1 says, this is not a unique skill. I think that this is a pattern that God keeps, that, that if we were to, to remove ourselves from corrupting company, God puts us in a place that we can grow and flourish. So the question then is, what do you need to quit? Who do you need to create some, some space from? Who do you need to break away from, even if it is just for a, a momentarily a moment? Not, not because you don't love that person, not because you're petty, but because your affections for Jesus surpass everything else. And realizing that, that if you were to really seek your own growth, if you were to really take responsibility for your own discipleship to make sure that your feet are, 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 are cemented on the solid rock of Christ and not the slippery, the slippery, slippery sand, that you could provide a relational context for those friends to flourish in later. So if we're thinking in, in terms of this garden and in terms of a, a grove full of trees, to strive towards Christian maturity means that there might be weeds you need to pull. You, you, need to, you might need to relocate. But that's not the only thing that Psalm 1 says that we need to lean into. It's, it's not just removing the weeds or, or finding a new spot. You must add to your life. You, you gotta fertilize, you gotta enrich your life, and that's what verse two is all about. Here's what it says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, I, I think that this, I subscribe to a, a lawn service this year. Uh, you know, they send you stuff in the mail and you're supposed to follow these steps. It was just so dry, I didn't really do it at all. But it came with really simple instructions. And in the same way, I think there's a couple, it's like a two-step process here for, for how you ought to fertilize or enrich or, or seek the cultivation of your own life so that you can become a glorious tree person. The first thing that verse two tells us to do is it tells us that we must delight in the law of the Lord. You must delight in the law of the Lord. Now, this word delight, what you ought to think about. I was up in uh, Galena with some pastor friends this past week, spending time praying together, um, scheming together, asking God to move and to bless our churches. And, uh, and one night, uh, the guy made... Um, probably the best steak I've ever had, these big old fat steaks. He sous-vide them, if you know what that is. Okay, well, I don't have time to tell you. But it's, <laughs> look it up, YouTube it. Makes them nice and juicy, sears them on. It's like a science. It's unbelievable. And you sit down, and this is not a steak that you just like gulf down. This is one that you take a minute. You let, you let the flavors, and I'm upsetting all the vegetarians in the room right now, but you let that meat hit every taste bud on your tongue. You feel the texture. 
It just seeps in and, and you consume it and you take a minute and you and it's like you have your own little you have your own little worship service sitting right there with a plate in front of you. That's what it is. Because it's a good gift, but it comes from a good God. To delight in the law of the Lord is to savor it in the same way that you savor a juicy steak. That, that you appreciate it. You bask in its glory for just a moment. And, and you might be thinking, okay. It sounds weird to savor a law. Now, what, what you need to know that savoring the law of God is, is a lot different than getting fired up about the elephant from the DMV and read that and get souped up about, you know, passing lanes. It's, it's not that. God's law is far more glorious, more transformative, more life-giving than you can ever imagine. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 19. The psalmist, in fact, is part of our profession or confession of sin today. When we confess that the law of the Lord is perfect. You think about the laws in our state. There's a lot of imperfect laws in our state. A lot of unjust laws that, that hinders human flourishing. But the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, if God's law is perfect, and it revives the soul, why wouldn't we want our society to be ordered by that? If the testimony of the Lord is sure and it makes wise the simple, why wouldn't we want to savor the law of the Lord? If the precepts of the Lord are right as they are and they cause rejoicing in the heart, why wouldn't we constantly be going back to the word of God? It's because God's law does something that no other law can do. It says the fear of the Lord is, is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and dripping of the honeycomb. In keeping them, there is great reward. See, this... this if your view of God's law is this old, dingy, repressive, sort of like enforcement thing that gets pressed down on you, your perception of God's law is totally misaligned. It's, it's not at all that. God's law revives the soul. Now, one of the other things that God's law does is it helps our imagination envision what heaven is really like. If everybody were to follow the Ten Commandments for one day, for one day, it would feel a lot like heaven down here on earth because the law of the Lord is honored. Instead of the chaos of lawlessness or, or worse, the oppressive laws of man, God's law creates fertile ground for flourishing. It spurs on personal maturity, personal revitalization, relational health. It drives society towards the good life and not some counterfeit good life, but the real blessed life that God offers us. But here's the thing. The law of the Lord is sweet. It is more valuable than gold. But there's something that happens when you examine the law of God. One of the uses of the law, that when we study God's law before it causes this, this upshoot of growth, before it revives us, 
one of the things it does is it buries us down deep because the God's law exposes our own rebellion. Just as we confess today, we, have, we know God's law is perfect, but we didn't live like it. We have rebelled against God's law. We have insisted on our own ways. But here's the thing. When you have this realization of the glory of God's law and the grotesqueness of your sin, and, and even in that place you have a desire to, to, to then be realigned to God's law, what it does to us is it shows us that we need a savior. That we need somebody who can come in and keep the law for us. To, to bring us out of that darkness, out of that rebellion, and to walk in God's ways. Now, this is exactly where the gospel meets us. See, because it's good, we see that we've, we've, we've made an awful big mess of our lives. We, we come to realize that... Um, that at one point we were, as Psalm 1 says, the wicked. At one point we were the sinners. At one point we were the scoffers. Yet right here is where Jesus meets us. He says, yeah, you, you were rebellious. You were, your destination was to perish with the wicked. But Jesus steps in and said, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take I'll take the curse of your sin upon myself. Now, this happens after Jesus lived the perfect life, after Jesus kept every single one of God's commandments. His life and his profession of faith always lined up according to Psalm 19. Jesus was full of life. And Jesus says, I'm willing to lay that down so you can have a taste of that, so, you can, so my righteousness can be yours. And that's where faith comes in. We trust that Jesus is the only one that can bring us from death to life, from rebellion to faithful obedience to God. And this obedience, this, this faithful living can only be enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit which God gives us the moment we profess faith in Christ. That, that we would actually now have this, this total change, this total transformation where immaturity made us uh, resistant to the law of God. Now, by growing in our faith, we become more receptive, more eager and desirous, earnestly desiring to delight in the law of God and walk according to them. And so as, as the psalmist in, in Psalm 1 says that we are to delight in the law of the Lord, for the Christians, yeah, we delight in the law of the Lord, but that delight pushes us to delight even more in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel, it just, it's a cycle. We delight in the law, the gospel makes us delight more, and then the gospel, uh, faith, faithful obedience to God, the gospel of Jesus Christ allows us to then love the law more. So the first thing we must do after we've removed ourselves from, from the counsel of the wicked and the way of sinners and the seat of scoffers is to delight in the law of the Lord, to delight in his gospel. Now, step two goes a little bit further of this two-step application of fertilizer. It's not just to delight in the law of the Lord, but to meditate, it, meditate on it day and night. See, this points to the constancy of our delight. This isn't just a Sunday morning thing. 
This isn't just like a once a month thing. This is a multiple times in the day we are delighting in the law of the Lord. We are meditating. There's this ongoing perpetual savor of the gospel and God's law where we are drinking deeply of the living water which Christ himself supplies us that keeps us refreshed. It's, it's as if we are in fact planted by streams of water, that, that our roots have access to the sustenance we need. Whether, whether the stream is high or low, God's provision keeps flowing. This is what allows prospering. This is what allows, it says, uh, this tree is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. This, this fueling, this sustenance that comes from meditating on the law, meditating on the gospel of Jesus Christ, is what allows us to grow and flourish and prosper and to produce fruit. Now this is essentially a comment. How do we, how are we to go about growing? How are we to go about accessing that living water that produces a, a fountain of living water in us? Now I, I don't have a ton of time, but I will make a quick plug here for the Sacred City Life podcast. I've partnered up with Pastor Justin and for the last few months we've been uh, working through Donald Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. In fact, there's a copy of the book in the bookstore. If you, if you think you, your spiritual life, your disciplined life needs some work, read that book. It's really helpful. But we put some podcasts together on this topic of spiritual disciplines because it is by this the development and constant use of spiritual disciplines. This is how our souls get refreshed. This is how we find the sustenance to grow and lean into Christian maturity. Now the first one that I wanna highlight, you're doing it right now, which is great, good step in the right direction, is to participate in corporate covenantal worship. That, that each week, that's part of honoring the commands of God, the fourth commandment, um, keep the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath, and keep it holy. That, that we to gather together as God's people week in and week out to be reminded of the gospel. And, and it's not just here in the preaching. It's, it's the, the whole service is designed to stir our affections for God, to remind us of the story that we find ourselves in. From the call to worship, that it says, listen, God, this whole time, he's been attentive. God's been faithful. God hasn't gone anywhere. And he's calling us to worship him today. And we realize, we see God's glory. We see how he's holy. There's, there's no one, nothing like him. And that causes us to, again, examine ourselves. That same thing with the law. And we see, man, I am not like God. My heart is fickle. I've been bouncing from idol to idol all week long. And it leads to this confession of sin. And as we confess our sin, we're reminded God is faithful and just to forgive sin. And we have the absolution that's proclaimed over us. Not because, not because the person behind the microphone has the authority to do it, because Jesus did it. God declares you forgiven. 
And out of our, our newness of life, the forgiveness that we receive, we profess our faith. We say, listen, God is true reality, and I'm going to live my life in light of true reality. My faith is professed. That's the direction I'm heading. And then at the end of the service, there's a benediction, there's a sending, right? Going back, go make disciples. Go live on mission. Go, go raise godly families. Go build a Christian society one step at a time. This, this corporate covenantal worship, the, the liturgy is just loaded with gospel, call, and response. And then, of course, we've got the sacraments. You know, so I'm, I'm up here preaching, and I'm testifying, I'm proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm hopefully instructing in some ways what it looks like to follow Jesus. But then even if I do a bad job, the, the meal itself testifies to the gospel of God that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed for sinners. You take and eat, be filled with God's grace. Go, empowered by the Spirit. See, corporate covenantal worship, it, 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 it doesn't just do worship here for an hour, hour and a half. It's training us to be all of life worshipers. It's training us, in fact, the liturgy gives us a new vocabulary to use in our prayer life. You know how many times I think about, like I go to confess a sin and it's like I can't quite put my finger on it and I'm reminded of, of, a, of a past liturgy, a confession that we had. It's like God helped me get, get a vocabulary behind of God's means of grace that helps shape us and mature us and it's communal. That, that it's, it's something that God is doing with us all at the same time. I could preach a whole sermon series on this stuff right now. But one of the most important things, it's not, it's not the only thing, but it is one of the most important things, is to gather weekly for corporate worship. Discipline number two. And listen, here's the deal. You're probably thinking, I already know all these. And on it, to be honest with you, sermons like this, to me, are not super exciting. I'm gonna tell you why I'm excited about today. But you already know all the things. If you've been around church, go to church, read your Bible, pray. Okay, cool. But, but even then, you don't understand the potency of these disciplines. You, you don't understand the power of God working through these means of grace to cultivate you into something glorious. And so before you go rolling your eyes, I've heard these points before, Maybe just listen for a minute. Read your Bible, number two. You cannot delight in the law. You cannot meditate on the gospel without consistently being in the word. Because, now, you can know the law, you can know the Ten Commandments, you can know what the gospel is, but here's the crazy thing. This, this scripture that you hold in your hand is like the most dazzling diamond you've ever seen. You pick that baby up, and you think you know something, and then all of a sudden that light hits a facet in a way you've never seen it before, and just, poof, the glory just pops out at you. See, this is what happens. Listen, I can't overpromise here. You know, there's gonna be some days when you go to pick up your Bible in the morning and read it, and it's like, it kind of falls flat. But you did it, which is important. You did it. And there's gonna be some mornings where you get that glorious dazzle of the diamond, and it changed, like, 
that 10 minutes, that 15 minutes could change your whole life. You can't meditate, you can't delight on the law or the gospel without getting into God's word. It is such an incredible gift and it is it's so accessible. Like if you don't have a Bible, you can take one from the pew. You're not stealing, it's yours. Take three, I don't care. It's accessible. You've got it on apps, on your phone. You can Google it. It's so accessible. And, and, and the other part of it is though, it's like there are so many resources out there, great resources, that are designed to help us understand God's word. So, so we're not just left like, oh, there's so many different opinions. No, it's, it's, it's really, a lot of it is in very plain language. Now, the, there's parts where P- Peter says, you know, that Paul, when he talks, it's very confusing. And so there's some of that. But a lot of it, you can read it plainly. Like it's talking about a tree. You know how a tree works. It needs to be watered. Be like the, the blessed man. Be watered. Straightforward. See, Christian maturity is linked to our understanding of God's law and the gospel and our ability fueled by the spirit to live according to it. You cannot have Christian maturity without having knowledge of God's word, without organizing your life around God's word. Now, there's so much to be said about reading the Bible, but there's also something to be said about memorizing scriptures because you never know when that Bible is not accessible. You never know when you need a word in a moment or you need that encouragement and you don't have a Bible to flip to it, but the word of God is cemented in your heart. So not just reading your Bible, but memorizing scripture. Number three, prayer. We don't realize how great of a privilege it is for us to draw near, Hebrews 4, to draw near to the throne of grace in our time of need. Who else gets to go knocking on God's bedroom door at 3 a.m. but a child? You just want to drink a water? You're waking up a king. But God says, let us draw near now. And it's through this, this act of prayer that God has designed to foster intimacy, to foster a dependence upon God, to be sustained, to find help, to grow through your prayer. But it also helps us understand what it is our prayers are aimed at. That, that we could pray for God's will to be done. Now, if, if you don't pray, you've got an incredible resource right there at your fingertips. Christian, go pray. And go pray boldly. Go, go read Ephesians chapter three, where Paul's talking about these big prayers that we can go before God and ask. And listen, he's gonna say, even your biggest prayers are too tiny for God. So go pray. And perhaps not just pray, but fast as you pray. That that reveals a, a, a spiritual longing for God to move, to do the things that you can't do. Another spiritual discipline. All of these spiritual disciplines are invitations for us to commune with Jesus. Like in John 15, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branch. I am in you, you are in me. These spiritual disciplines are participation with our Lord that we had learned to do life in him. And wherever there is a discipleship culture, these spiritual disciplines 
our pillars. To have a gospel culture, to have a disciple-making culture, these basic spiritual disciplines must be present and they must be loved. In order for our church to step into an era of reinvigorated discipleship, we all now need to make up in our minds today that I'm going to give myself to cultivating myself. I'm going to give myself to these disciplines that I might receive God's grace that would strengthen me, that would build me up, that would lead me towards Christian maturity. Now, what we must realize also at the same time, you might cultivate myself, that sounds selfish. Well, no, it's, it's like the same, the whole like you're in a plane and the air mask drops down, put, your on, put yours on first and then you can help others, same idea. If you want to be able to help other people, you've got to first be able to cultivate care for your soul and take responsibility as God's allowed you to do so. And as you do so, it not only affects you, it benefits others. So you growing, you becoming a mature Christian is a blessing to other people. People who are in your proximity right now, not just that, but in the generations. Now this is why I'm fired up about, about this today. I might cry already. My, um, this is a long story. I'm going to try to make it short. My grandpa was a pastor. He became a pastor late in life, like second or third. He was, he was a veteran. He was a butcher. And then later on in life, he became a pastor. God showed up. He, um, he didn't grow up in a Christian family, but God saved him. And uh, last, last yesterday, my mom sent me a, an old letter that my grandpa had written to his brother, um, who also did not grow up in the church, did not grow up a Christian. And my, my grandparents had just gone through a really, really hard season. They had, a, um, they had a two-year-old son who died. Hard thing to lose a, a child. And through that process, through that hard season, my grandparents learned to rely on the Lord. They learned what it meant to abide in Christ. And as my grandpa is writing this four-page letter to his brother, he's talking about how God brought him through a hard season, and this season taught him how to pray. And God, though he didn't answer the prayer for healing, he answered bigger prayers. From this, my, my grandpa began to walk with the Lord, and now there are four generations that have come after because my grandpa learned how to pray. How simple. And here he is evangelizing to his brother. Man, I hope you come to the place where you realize how badly you need God's help and that you too would cry out to God in prayer. See, this is, this is the essence of discipleship. God, I need you. You're my only help. And whether we come to worship corporately or open our Bibles or go to God in prayer, we are asking for the Lord to give us that which we can't produce in ourselves. 
This is the means of grace of spiritual disciplines that we would, we would grow and mature in our faith. And that's what, by going through adversity, by going through hard seasons, my grandpa learned how to rest and lean on the Lord. And I believe that stories like this are not meant to be um, uh, an anomaly. They're meant to be widespread. Stories and stories and stories and stories of how one man or woman's faithfulness who said, my heart is set on the Lord. I will walk according to the ways. I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will worship God because of the gospel of grace can have, a, have an effect not just in this setting, not just in a church, but through the generations. God's desire for us as a church is to become a grove of ever-expanding, fruitful trees. A whole forest of men and women sustained by God, bearing fruit, not withering through adversity, but prospering in all seasons because we are united with Christ. This is the way of righteousness, which Christ himself leads us into. And so it's with this vision, it's this vision of a big forest of fruitful trees, a big grove of fruitful trees and little saplings that are rising up right next to them that we set ourselves to cultivating our own hearts, of investing in our own discipleship, that we would dig into the rhythms of spiritual discipline and by God's grace, by God's strength, by God's power for his glory, that we would grow, that we would pursue Christian maturity for our good, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. You thank you, we thank you, we thank you, Lord, for what you have done. You've given us not only a good law, but a great Savior. And we thank you, Lord, that you've invited us to not, to not just be um, associated to you from a distance, uh, it's not just that you keep your followers at arm's length, but you, you invite us into yourself so profoundly that, that we talk about union with Christ, that, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And so as the power of the spirit of, of the living God is at work in us, the power that raised Christ from the dead, Lord, would you, would you guide us into the fruitful ways of life? Would you help us to give ourselves to the disciplines uh, of grace, of growing up into Christian maturity, that we would be a blessing to others, that your grace would be even more prominent in our own lives, and that through the generations, the glory of Christ would expand. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. And it's his name we pray, amen.